Hello and welcome to the Iowa Basketball Coaches Association podcast. I'm your host, Derek Dangler. Before we start, I just want to encourage those of you who coach in the state of Iowa to join the IBCA this season. As a member, in addition to a $2 million insurance policy for your staff, you'll also get access to our Coaches Corner and Lucio Whiteboard. Your team will become eligible for either all region or all state awards and much more. If you're interested, go to our website's link, which should be included in the description below if you have any questions or need more information. All right, let's get to the show. Coaches, joining us today uh, is Coach Jacob Brindle, uh, formerly the head coach at Cascade High School on the boys' side. Coach, thanks for coming on the show today. Hey, my pleasure, Coach. Honored to be here. I'm really excited to get to talk to you today. First thing I'd kind of like you to do, if you could, is um, maybe tell the, tell the audience uh, uh, what your position is currently um, and then how you got to be there. Yeah. Um, as you mentioned, I'm the former head boys basketball coach at Cascade High School. Um, I coached here for 18 years. I was an assistant for 14 years under Hall of Fame uh, coach Al Marshall, uh, one of my biggest mentors, my biggest mentor in coaching. Um, took over for him um, after the 2016 season. Uh, we finished runner-up, and then I stepped in the next year and um, coached for four years. And made, uh, excuse me, <clears throat> made the decision this um, past spring, right after season ended, um, to step away for a little bit uh, for family reasons, honestly. Um, we have a, a growing, busy family. We have four kids, ages um, uh, two through almost five and two twin six-year-olds. So four kids, ages two to six, basically. And, and one of our twins has some special needs, too. And um, her special uh, ed program um, is moving from the, the Western Dubuque-Epworth area back down to Cascade next year, which is good for our family. Um, also requires a little more, more time commitment for me. And so it was just the right time. So um, transitioning, I'm going to uh, focus more on developing work inside our youth program, a little youth league in town, and do a lot more youth development for the next two years here in Cascade. Well, that's awesome and completely understandable with family and those kinds of things. Um, I think it's always great to hear. It's a theme that I've heard consistently uh, interviewing people for this is, is that kind of feel um, for their family and how that works with coaching. So that's great to hear. Um, and excited, hopefully, about the youth stuff. Um, Coach, could you maybe give me a little bit of a background? So you obviously were at Cascade for, for quite a long time as an assistant and then the head coach. Um, what was your basketball career like as a player and then into your coaching career? Yeah, um, I, it's a little bit of a, a travel story. Um, I'm originally from Peru, Indiana, a um, town about 9,000 north central Indiana. And I was very young. My, my father, he was an engineer for a company. He got transferred to Middle Tennessee. So I actually grew up in the, the Middle Tennessee, Murfreesboro area for several years. And then we actually had moved back to Indiana in the middle of some different transfers from my dad um, during my second, third, fourth, and fifth and sixth grade years, right before sixth grade. And it was prime time to grow up in Indiana. Damon Bailey, Calvert Chaney, Alan Henderson, Glenn Robson, all these guys were in high school at the time. So it was Hoosier Stereo to the finest. That's where I first kind of fell in love and kind of got infatuated with basketball. And then, um, we had moved back to Tennessee up until the end of my sophomore season. Um, and we moved to Iowa. My dad took a position with a new company here, uh, Piasta, Iowa, just outside Dubuque in the Western Dubuque district. <clears throat> and so I finished up my career playing uh, Western Dukes. So I'm a Western Duke Bobcat alum, uh, graduated in 98. I went to Cornell College for a year to play baseball, actually. Um, was going to do a little baseball, basketball, wind up focusing on baseball. Kind of did a little shadowing with uh, Coach Ed Tim, was the head coach there at that time. And then I wound up transferring to the University of Northern Iowa. And through a friend of mine at Cornell, whose father was the, the head girls coach at NU High, the lab school at the time in Cedar Falls, I was able to jump in and be a student assistant for a few years while still in college at NU High um, while I was at Northern Iowa. So then I got randomly, randomly just selected to student teach in Cascade uh, my last semester in college. And I've been here ever since, actually. My very first day on the job, Coach Marshall had a freshman opening. I mean, he remember me from high school. We were old rivals from back in the Big Ben days. And um, we talked about it and wound up. We thought it might work, and here we are today. Awesome, Coach. Well, bouncing around a little bit, but it's to me it's always cool to hear about somebody getting to a community and then staying there for a long Absolutely. time. I, I think that's really, for most of us, probably kind of the dream and goal. So that's fantastic. Coach, uh, one question I always like to ask is, um, who are some of the influences for you from a coaching perspective uh, that have allowed you to uh, be so successful in this position? You no, know, obviously Coach Marshall is a great mentor of mine. Um, I, I was just, I was blessed beyond all belief to step in a situation I did at Cascade. And um, from the teachers I mentored with, uh, the gentleman I student taught with, was my, my English father and his wife is an English teacher too, my English mother, to 
Coach Marshall, who's been, you know, just everything to me, coaching-wise. Um, beyond those guys, I was fortunate to play for some great coaches. Um, in Tennessee, I played for a guy named Randy King, who's a Hall of Fame coach in Tennessee. We had a big school program, and um, we, had some, we had some really good dudes in that team. And just being in that program made me better. And he was an offensive whiz, and the way he worked with guys. And um, assistant on that team, Coach Woodson, was just a bulldog defensive coach, and he was great. Um, then in Iowa, I played for a guy named Phil Kramer, um, <coughs> who was just he, very similar. He, he wound up retiring shortly after, about mid-40s, because his family was getting bigger, too. And just he, he really taught me a lot about um, handling kids, just some of the nicest human beings you could ever meet, you know. And um, he was fantastic. And so I, I've been really, really blessed. Um, a lot of coaches I admire just watching from afar, you know, Coach Popovich and um, – I always like, you know, some of the, the, the picker butler coach of the day, whoever's coaching those guys is always really good and watching how they approach their program and philosophy. But um, on a personal level, Coach Marshall, um, Coach Showalter, uh, Coach Slykehouse, Coach Slawball, the guys from Snow Valley, all those guys I've gotten to meet from them to pick their brains. Um, it's a lot of guys I know, but I've been, I've been very fortunate. You know, like Gary Emmert, who I mentioned down at Winterset, uh, I've gotten to know him through Snow Valley. Just such a kind person, just a you know, just the way his approach to just life in general, I think, has been a big influence on me as well. And a group of guys I kind of came up with coaching, um, Coach Shaw at Old Wine, uh, Jeff Steinus, who's down in Ames, um, Coach Hattie down there at Mayor, uh, Mount Vernon, not Mayor anymore, uh, Mount Vernon, uh, Coach Ursula, uh, Clint, a lot of these guys, we came, came up through the ranks together doing camps and stuff, and just be able to have feedback from those guys and see how they do stuff. So I've been very fortunate. We have a great coach community in Iowa. Uh, a lot of, we have so many guys that can help us out. Um, I've been fortunate to be on the receiving end of a lot of that help. Absolutely. Well, that's great to hear so many different names, Coach. So, obviously, you've been coaching for a long time now, but uh, one question I love asking guys is, um, from your days as a player, uh, you know, late 90s, early 2000s, to now as a coach, what do you feel like has changed the most about basketball? Oh, I, I would say the, the emphasis on three-point shooting is a big one. Um, I, I'd say at the high school level, um, it's kind of trickle-down effect. Obviously, the NBAs, the pros, obviously, it's a huge difference. You watch those old last dance games, and they're 80s and the 70s in the scores, and now those are third-quarter scores or halftime scores. But I, I'd say the emphasis of three-point shooting, uh, maybe the de-emphasis of, of big guys, you know, true post guys, I think. We've seen that in the high school game. Uh, I'd say this, this overall physicality of guys, too. You know, we always had good athletes in the, in the late 90s. I look at our guys today, and – um, I, I think it's a clear shift in this uh, year-round and the emphasis of uh, nutrition and sports training, I think, has really grown the last 20 years or so. Yeah, certainly, I know with our players, they're just a ton more active, not just basketball, but, you know, just activities outside of the school and those kinds of things and um, can see some of those effects. Is there anything you really miss that you'd love to see go back um, to kind of those maybe more old school uh, uh, days in terms of oh man, play. that's a tough one. I, I I was always a big fan of playing with big guys, true post guys. That you know, like that's the best thing about watching the Hawkeyes play at the Garza now. I mean, that's a kind of an old school operate through him. And we've had teams. We had a great big guy, Devin Green, for several years. We played that way. And this past season, we had a big kid, Alex Hastings, was a really good big player for us. So I kind of miss that. Um, but I I'm not gonna lie. I kind of like the the free-flowing, everybody can shoot the ball, kind of spacing uh, tight concepts we had today. But um, I, I, I do kind of miss an old-fashioned big guy, and Mikhail like armpits there in the post. You want to feed him up and get rid of those elbows and see what happens. So, Yeah, something to that, like, just mentality of, like, hey, we're going to get it here and see what happens, you know. A um, little bit of that toughness aspect of it, too. Um, all right, Coach, now I'm going to really switch gears on you. This is my right. favorite question to ask everybody. Um, I'm going to ask you, who are your favorite three – basketball players of all time with the caveats of this I uh, can't be somebody my mom knows so you can't use somebody who's really really famous like Jordan okay and it can't be like a family member or somebody you coach that's that's too easy okay. way of it now all right so three favorite basketball players somebody who sticks out to you um the first one I'm gonna say is Damon Bailey if you grew up in Indiana at the time I did he was and your mom may know if your mom's a basketball fan she may know Bailey but no I, she doesn't know Damon Bailey I don't perfect. think perfect you know he's all-time leading scorer and he He's a, here we are, these rural kids in Indiana, and there's this kid at a smaller high school like we were part of and leads the state in scoring, who's your hero, all that stuff. And so um, Damon Bailey be one. Um, I would say on the pro level, uh, I was a big fan of Boris Diaw. I love the way oh, Boris Diaw played. Sure. I was a Spurs guy. I like watching those teams. And he just – number one, he was good. He, was, he always had a blast. Like, he didn't know what he was going to do. He was a little bit carefree, but he was also – he was disciplined carefree at the same time. And 
uh, multi-dimensional. And the last one's kind of random. It goes way back. Uh, Kyle Macy, who was an All-American at Kentucky and played in the NBA for a while. And this is kind of a family connection. He's not family member, but my mom and him went to high school together. And our families kind of, they grew up together and they were like best friends. And he was a Mr. Basketball from Indiana. And so growing up, we had Kyle Macy posters in the household and kind of followed his career in the NBA in the late 80s and kind of early 90s and retired. And he went on to be a head coach at Moorhead State and Division One schools for a while. So, yeah. So those three guys, I think, meet your criteria, if I had to, had to say. Yeah, that's pretty good. I, I, I can say with certainty my mother doesn't know any of those three people. So I, uh, that's really, really good. Um, and, and I'm impressed with your, your quickness to get to them. Usually everybody's really good first two, but that third one, it's like, you know, it takes a little bit to think of. So that's you already have my mind going back to Indiana memory lane a little bit. So yep. that's fantastic. Um, so same kind of question, but your favorite team of all time. And I'm really looking, if you can give me a specific year, that's really what, I, what I'm looking for. So team that you haven't coached, uh, haven't played on, but favorite team to like watch and, and maybe why. I would say my favorite team to watch of all time was uh, 2014 Spurs. Um, number one, um, just – I was always I, always a big Popovich fan, even, you know, that first – I was a Tim Duncan fan back when he was in college going through. And then um, just the way they played, the ball movement, uh, the, the skill level, just the IQ, the stuff they did. It was my mind match how I wanted our teams to play. And I think our championship level 2018 team played kind of mirrored that same style a little bit. Uh, but also the fact that the, the gut-riching, kind of the big kick in the gut, you know, defeat they had the year before in 13 to, to the Heat in the championship that Ray Allen shot. For them to come back the way they did in 2014 and lock in and get all the way back there and finish that off in the fashion they did, this, that this takes so much kind of character and guts. But um, just the, the level of discipline to do that, I think, is, is one of the, the most admirable parts of that team, I think. Oh, that's fantastic, Coach. I'll tell you what, I've had that, that team come up here before um, uh, with Coach Lewis, who's a big Spurs fan. out Oh, of yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, and so I, I think that's great because it just kind of highlights some of that stuff I think as coaches we all really love in terms of, you know, their ball movement on offense and, and sort of selflessness that that team was known for. Absolutely. So um, that's great to hear as well. Um, I'm going to throw it back, Coach, a little bit. Like you said, you, you've, you've gotten out – just recently uh, due in part to your family. Um, what do you think, you know, going into next season as the season starts, uh, it's going to be something that, you know, you really, really miss um, uh, not being part of that high school experience. Oh, that's a good question. I, I think I'm starting to – COVID has kind of thrown a loop into that a little bit. Um, I, I miss – right now I miss the open gym pieces, which I'll still do. I'll still help out in that capacity uh, once we're allowed to get back into gym. Um, I would say a big thing when the year starts is just that kind of that buzz, that excitement. You know, everybody's trying to figure out who you have on your team and kind of looking at your prospects, just that, that planning of how you're going to play this year. Because at our level, you know, rural, 2A, public schools, um, your talent and size and athleticism varies year to year so much that you got to be able to change year to year. And I always kind of enjoyed that, like figuring out, meeting with our staff and talking, you know, leading up to it through a fall league and just, just kind of throwing stuff on the wall and experimenting and putting a plan together. And, I would say that that's a big, that buzz, that planning piece. And then during the year itself, I kind of anticipate, I mean, you're going to miss, I'll miss being around it, being in the locker room, being with those guys, you know, practices. And I, I think the planning, the preparation is unbelievable on this, that day-to-day -day prep work and adjustments and practice. Sounds kind of nerdy, but I, that, I love practice planning, like laying something out and planning the three days ahead and looking at this week, what skill we need to hit more, you know, just it's all that little piece to it, to be honest with you. Oh, I can completely relate to that, that, that sort of feeling of laying that plan out. And then when, especially, you know, you see it actually come to fruition, oh, absolutely. Such, a, such a great feeling. And I definitely relate, you know, right now we're here in the summer and uh, where we're not able to do stuff where normally I'd, you know, we'd have some workouts, maybe a team camp here or there, whatever it might be. Everybody's different. I really miss that piece right now of such a great time to have relationships with the guys where playing time's a little bit more relaxed and, um, you know, it's just a little bit more casual, but get a chance to experiment and get better. I can definitely relate to that feeling. Oh, yeah, that's, that's the best part about summer is it's, it's, it's stress-free. I mean, it's stressful. Kids can – but it's also, you know, we're, we're here to just get better. We're here to experiment. And I always tell kids in summer, feel free to mess up. You know, we're going to do this for the first time. We're going to mess it up. That's okay. You know, I, I miss that piece. Or open gyms and having a kid work on some specific new skill for an hour and see yeah. how he does. And if he doesn't do it well, that's okay. We'll come back and do it next time or change yeah. it a little bit, change your approach. And so you hit it on the head. It's like – I don't that casual kind of laid back. Let's just let's just get to know each other here this summer. And we'll get down to business in the fall, but 
the summer is about you're forming your team in the summer. You know, in the fall and the winter, you gotta get busy down the business and work. Um, in the summertime, you're working, but at the same time, you're you're working as much on that that me to you piece as you are the, the X's and O's piece too. Yeah, just a great chance to grow relationships, player development, all that kind of stuff. Um, you also mentioned earlier, Coach, uh, moving into maybe a little bit more of a role on the youth side. Could you maybe describe what that that might look like? Yeah, absolutely. I've, I've been fortunate. We have a really, for a town our size, we have a really good um, youth league. We play in the, the basement of the City Hall as an old uh, Depression era, New Deal gym that was built there a long time ago. And our, our community has really done a lot of work to remile that, re, um, revisit it. And it's, it's an awesome gym. And um, Coach Marshall got this league, we'll call it Hallball, got it started by about 30 years ago. And when I started taking over more responsibilities as an assistant, I kind of stepped in with the, the youth board at that time, about 10 years ago. And so during the, our regular basketball season, I do free youth clinics all, every weekend throughout our season for the Hallball kids. And kind of help them organize the league a little bit and wrap it every now and again. So I've been really involved with the youth for some time now. I run a big camp for our kids here in town. And um, I love that. The youth camp, the youth season stuff, I love it. So that's part of that. Unfortunately, we'll keep on doing. Um, maybe a little more hands-on, just offering those free clinics to the kids. Um, I like to be able to step in some of their um, underage level tournament teams and help out with those practices a little bit more. Um, I've been asked to do that quite a bit in the last few years, but never had the time to do it. Um, so this year, just to pop in and help kids out a little bit, and um, even up through our junior high kids, just doing some workouts and clinics with those guys. So I'm looking forward to that. You know, this the development, the teaching piece, and um, that's what I'm what I'm what I'm going to miss about the high school coaching piece. Um, I'm lucky to kind of augment now with that youth level teaching piece too. So, yeah, that's fantastic, and what a great way to you know help keep continue to be a part and continue to grow the program. Yeah. Um, I might be asking you a question quick about hall ball. Is, that, is it primarily kids in your guys' school district? Is it, is it a it's, little it's bit just more? Ca just we have our Cascade and surrounding area. And we will have some kids from our Western Dubuque County district. is kind of unique. You know, we're Western Dubuque High School and Cascade are in the same district. Um, so we'll have occasional kids from the Western Dubuque system that will come to the hall ball. A lot of those kids come to our youth camp. But during yeah. the hall ball season, it's, yeah, it's just it's Cascade kids. Um, before, I'll, just throw, I'll lay it out to you real quick. Before Christmas – we play our junior high kids, 6th, 7th, and 8th, because our junior high school season is after Christmas. Sure. So we'll do a 6th, 7th, and 8th grade league. There's about four teams, and they play on Sundays for about five weeks. And they'll about seven kids on team. And we'll have a lot of high school kids. I'll help coach those teams and maybe a dad, too. Um, so it's great for our high school guys. And every now and then we'll bring one of those teams into our practices, too, to help us or like see us on a day, like a practice day, so to speak. So then after Christmas, we do our younger age, third and fourth and fifth and sixth grade kids. And so we'll have a little bit more teams, a little bit more participation in that. And so if they play on a Sunday, um, for an hour before they play, I'll do a clinic. And that might be practice more. Sure. We'll work on offensive skills or shooting or some um, offensive concepts or something for that clinic that day. And then they'll go play their games. They have teams, red, blue, white, you know, and they'll do a little tournament to wrap it up. And so some kids will also do kind of their tournament team, a little more competitive. But the goal of hall ball is get every kid possible playing, playing basketball, you know. And every kid's going to start a game. Every kid's not going to start a game. So you have to learn how to come off a bench, for example. Uh, we have some other rules like that. And it's really good to see, like, our eighth graders playing with sixth graders. You know, there's a big age difference, size there. But the same token, when they're in high school, those guys might be teammates as sophomores and seniors, you know. And so it teaches those older kids how to be leaders, how to be a little bit mentors. You know, maybe they dominate. Well, they're the younger guys. Well, let's go facilitate for a day, you know, that type of thing. So we love it. It's been a huge part of our success, we think, through the years. Yeah, that sounds fantastic. Obviously, it's pretty easy to point to with, with the success you guys have had to point to something like that. Um, have you guys seen any change in that? I know in I'm in a smaller community. Um, we've had more and more kids um, get involved with uh, grassroots programs or whatever it might be. Um, has that affected it at all? Um, is it just a part of it, another thing going on? Um, I maybe you could speak. Yeah, to I would say our, our upper, our seventh and eighth grade numbers have gone down the last few years, I think. And part of that is, is our, our guys don't play a lot of, you know, we have some kids that play with different AAU circuits and things like that through the years. Um, but mainly our, our kids are playing, they're playing tournament team, you know, competitive tournaments and yep. those run on weekends too. And, you know, it's a little bit, so we've probably seen a little bit of a dip in that age groups numbers, I'd say due to that. Um, we still encourage them, you know, you can still do the hall ball and do a tournament team. You know, yeah, we'll schedule absolutely. if we have to. My big thing was, I, honestly, I want them playing tournament, but I've always told them, hall ball is where you're, you learn how to be a teammate. These are your teammates. These are all the kids in town. It's not just one group of guys in your grade. 
Because in high school, you're not with your grade, especially small schools. You have a sophomore here, a senior here. Um, so I think we have seen a little bit of a shift, but, but not dramatically. We, we always keep a solid three to four to five teams in every level we've had. And if we have to you know, make those a little bit smaller or accommodate, we've been able to do that too. Awesome. Well, that's really neat to hear about, Coach. I um, sometime might have to get you on and just talk about that, especially after maybe yep. you're going to dip your toe into it a little bit more this year. Um, but right now, I think um, we'll transition and take a short break. And, and when we come back, we'll talk a little bit uh, about zone defense, which Coach Brindle and Cascade are well known for. Um, so thank you, Coach. We'll come back here shortly. Awesome. Sounds good. All right, back here with Coach Brindle uh, to talk a little zone, 2-3 defense. Um, Cascade consistently the last few years has been uh, one of the teams leading in scoring defense, um, has played 2-3 for a, a long time. Um, and so I'll open it up to Coach Brindle to talk a little bit about that. Coach, I know you're assistant with Coach Marshall for a long time, but maybe you could speak to um, why you guys came to be such believers in the 2-3 zone. Yeah, the story goes back. A lot of people think Al was a – a two or three guy forever. He really wasn't. Um, he played some zone. He, he would have liked to have played more man. And it was in the late nineties, uh, his 98 team that made the state tournament early in the year, they had played a non-conference game. against West Delaware. He was really good at the time. And um, Cascade, I think lost like 75 to 73 great high school game, you know, and they were a two way school at the time. They were one of the only two way schools in the old big Ben conference, which had DeWitt, McCoca, Western Dubuque, uh, Monticello was free, a Comanche, Anamosa. And so it was a big conference. And Cascade being a smaller two-way school, you're going to be a little outman once you got past three, four, five, or six guys in those schools. And so you kind of had a revelation um, that in West Delaware time was a big 3A too. He said, you know, we can play with these teams. I don't know if we can score 75 every game to beat the really good teams. And he worked with his, his mentor, John Davidson, who was a, a Hall of Fame D3 NAIA coach. I coached in Dubuque, at the uh, University of Dubuque in Clark College, has over 500 wins. And, and Coach Davison had really athletic guys. And he developed kind of the principles of the zone, the way he wanted to play it with those guys. And um, he had always been kind of, um, kind of uh, trying to, to convince Coach Marshall to adapt it at the high school level. And, and so finally, after that year, they kind of met up, or later on, about Christmas that year, and kind of really picked the, the fine points to it. Um, that's when he first started buying into it and made the state tournament that year or the year after. Kind of from then on, it became what they do and what they did. And, um, so long story short, the, really, to compete in a bigger league like they were playing in and compete with the, the Western Christians of the world at the state tournament, those teams are going to be a little bigger, a little more athletic than Cascade might be. You needed something in place that would allow you to maximize your strengths, um, maximize that at six or seven guys that could play at that level. And, and, and something that you can get better at through the year without having to spend hours and hours and hours and hours on it, you know, sure. and, and that type of thing. And so that's kind of what it was born from. And um, when I first started coaching with Coach, I'd never been as – I didn't know much about the playing zone. I was a man-to-man guy uh, playing in my high school program and my early coaching days. And, and so once I started seeing and understanding philosophically, I just – I bought in, you know, uh, hook, line, and sinker. And um, so that's kind of where it started and what we've always been – that's kind of the genesis of where it is now. So a couple of things there. Obviously felt like he gave you the best chance to win, which I would think is why any of us make any decisions. Um, maybe allows you guys in a smaller school to uh, uh, change the pace of the game and, and um, play, depending on each year, I'm sure, control your depth maybe a little bit more. Um, and uh, like you said, gives you a fighting chance against some of those bigger schools. In any of the years where maybe you guys have had some more talented players um, or you feel that way, uh, have you has that changed uh, how you approach with the zone? Does it change it? Oh, maybe we'll play a little bit of man this year. Um, what are some of the tweaks you make in those kinds of situations? Um, I would say, you know, our the state tournament teams we had in seventeen and eighteen, the, the title team in eighteen, for example, that team was so multidimensional. Uh, we had a core group of six guys, five or five starters, and those five guys could play any spots in the zone. And so we, we tinkered a little. We played a little more one-three-one those years. We were using our, we were kind of long, not big, but long, some long arm guys, and a bunch of little six-foot-one, six-foot-two dudes out there, and um, with some athleticism. And so we did some more trapping out of it, some extensions of it. Um, what we found though, some of those more talented teams, they they almost they liked playing the zone almost a little bit more. They found because they felt they could really, really stifle guys, and they could really force the issue a little bit because they were a little more talented and their IQ was really high and. 
Um, even though they weren't big, we could cover space. We could cover a lot of space. We could kind of – with those teams, our center was 6'3", and he was phenomenal. He shut down 6'8 guys all year long, small state, D1 type guys. And he did it because we could all move. We could all move in, move out. Or our ability to close out was really good with those teams. And uh, that, that's kind of my check on good defensive players. We always, we always thought closeouts were all a big thing. And the, the better and sooner we could close out and re-close outs, um, the better our team was going to be. So those teams we've had that were really talented, um, really good, successful team, they're really good at the defense. Um, that was always a key. We kind of felt, they kind of liked it almost, hey, we're, we're going to play you this way. And, uh, man-to-man, even if we're more, even if we're more talented, um, teams I think are better against man-to-man than they are zone anyway. And so we thought we could still, teams could still maybe expose some weaknesses we might have. And so we kind of always thought those, those talented teams can only play the zone better. They kind of like playing it better because they kind of enjoy the fact we could do some more different nuances out of it, you know, game to game. Interesting. Um, I kind of want to jump into – I got some other questions, but jump into the closeout part of it. I feel like that's something that – and I don't want to speak out of turn, but something that's really changed over time that if you go back 25, 30 years, there probably weren't a ton of coaches, you know, working on a closeout. But you said it's a big key. I know we work a lot with it with our team. Um, what are some of the things you're doing on closeouts uh, to be effective in terms of teaching it or maybe just general philosophy as well? You know, um, I, I would say teaching and general philosophy, there's three main kind of um, pillars of the zone that we hit. The one stance, ready to play in a stance, athletic stance, obviously always ready to play. Active hands, high active hands, movement hands, and then moving on the flight of the ball, move, ball movement. Uh, Coach Marshall, um, kind of developed a few drills that we kind of picked up a little bit on and uh, we've changed a little bit our own our, when we were here. But um, we did closeout type drills in every defensive drill we did. There was always some element of ball movement and moving to the ball. And uh, whether it's specific, closing out the shooter drills, closing out the passes, um, and not just on the ball, closing out away from the ball, going from one position to a help position quicker and um, coming from the lane back out from the middle to up to down. And so we did a lot of closeouts in multiple directions. You know, up and down, close out, side to side. Or our rule for the guards where you got to be able to close out sideline to sideline, basically. Mm-hmm. You know, so we simulate some of that stuff. And that was just something we did every day. You know, I, nothing else. or just get there. That was always, I just get there. You better get there. Nothing else matters. The pass is to a shooter, get there. Get to a guy, get there. And uh, our really good teams we've had, the 2018 team was just phenomenal. They had five guys. And that was always, we always got a little pride when after a big win or something, another team's coach or player said we always felt double teamed or we never felt open. That was always kind of our goal was for them to never feel open. And, sure. um, and that's what I think the zone allowed us to do was, I think, always kind of know where guys are and always be able to get the guys um, in some capacity. So I heard you – I was going to ask you kind of your basic philosophy of the zone, and I heard you saying there, you know, stance, active hands, and then moving on the flight of the ball. Would you say, like you said, those are your pillars? Is that your basic philosophy? Is there anything else that goes along with it? Those are the three biggies, you know. And I guess the fourth one I should have said, too, is communicate. You have to have a lot of talking. A lot of times our center is like our quarterback. Um, this year we had a really great big guy, Alex Hageson. We weren't very good offensively this year. We were a little challenged, but we were great defensively. And it kept us in a lot of big games because of it. And Alex was great. I mean, he was nonstop chatterbox back there. And um, we, want everybody, we want everybody to talk, but you can have that center or that one guy that's just always alert of shooter here. You're closing out over there, Johnny Gannon. You're up here in the wing. You'd be heads up, heads up, heads up. A lot of that chatter is huge. That too, that communication piece. Because there's gonna be some blind spots. You know, guards gonna get turned around sometimes, or a guy in the corner might be missing a cutter. And um, so those three pillars: the stance, active hands. Um, we always say that if we're active hands, teams will throw passes, not even realizing it to your hands. You go to get deflections. We do a deflection drill every day. We're maybe not going to steal it from your hands, but I might steal the ball halfway through its ball path to the next guy. And those are things we hit on, deflections with our hands. And then um, just that close out and talking, closing out. I remember our scout for Sheldon a couple years ago in the state semis, our assistant coach, Coach Hummel, was a big – our defensive coordinator in a lot of ways. And he had a day to prepare, and they had all these shooters. And he's like, screw it. Play as hard as you can and get there. Just do that. We'll be all right. That was our game plan. Play as hard as you can and get there. Uh, keeping it simple the boys can understand oh, that right. sure. um talking maybe a little bit uh about teaching those those fundamentals those pillars um you said you're doing stuff every day is it um stuff that is you know one on oh like it's just the guys practicing being in a stance and doing it is it always in a shell drill maybe how does it evolve over the course of a season as well yeah i mean people will be surprised we probably don't spend more than we have a two-hour practice, we'll have a max maybe 30 minutes on defense. 
specific stuff. You know, I, I've always been a big believer, and I kind of got this from Coach Marshall too, that offensive skills are much harder to teach and develop than defensive skills. I think defense is you got to work hard, you got to be ready to play, you got to practice it and teach it, obviously. Um, but there's gonna be a lot more offensive innuendo you gotta get down to. But um, so we would start practice. I've, actually, it was just two minutes. One minute, we're just sitting in a stance. And this is the time we talk to the guys. And they're just, they sit in a stance, hands above their head. And we say hi. Our reference is you'll be able to look up at your palms and see hi. That's what it should be. Okay. We just sit. It's just building strength. And then we'll do one minute right after that of just kind of an old-fashioned foot fire and a quick shuffle. Not, not like slides. One boom, get there, get there, get there. Simulated deflection for a minute. Um, so that's how we the stance every day, basically. And then during your defensive specific section of our drill of our day, we might do some uh, one-on-one. I do a lot of one-on-one guarding every day, just making yourself contain a dribbler because um, we talk about weaknesses in the zone, teams that are good penetrators. That's a big, that could be a real uh, killer for you. Teams that can penetrate your belly in the zone a little bit. So uh, a lot of one-on-one on ball stuff daily. Um, some two-on-two. And we do a lot of just breakdowns where maybe I might take our top level guys in the zone and work on various skips and closeouts and uh, recoveries today. Today might be a wing to wing skip with a baseline drive recovery, or it might be a point to wing short corner dive to deflect a the diver type drill. So we might pick a specific thing that day and drill it for five minutes. You know, um, and we always do some live action stuff. We're going offensive defense and we're going to work on that. You get eight stops till you're out. You know, you got to get three consecutive stops or things along those lines. And, and that might be the time then, if we're doing any kind of specific game planning, or okay, this is uh, one of those Monticello. This is Lambert from Monticello here. He's going to be a shooter. Here's what we're going to shade that a little bit this time. That might be our tweaking time as well. Yeah. When you're doing those breakdown drills, um, I'm assuming that's like three on three, four on four. What do those yeah, look like? It, it might be uh, two guards and then have like four offensive guys in different spots. And those two guards are closing out and recovering. Those guys, the offense may not be trying to score. Okay. They have an offensive point, offensive wing, wing, and offensive high post. And this is, is three it, seconds in of nonstop. You're moving hard. Get there. Yeah. You know, I'm coaching closeouts, play of the ball. On the last pass, you got to try to get a deflection on it, you know, for example. And we do a drill called deflection drill. That takes four guys, and you have uh, three offensive players all spread out about 12 feet apart in a triangle, and a defender who basically is between any number, any, any two of those three guys. And his job is to try to deflect the pass. So if I'm passing to you, defender's trying to deflect it. I'm not going to ball fake. I'm just going to make a pass. You can read my hands. I'm going to read your hands. Read the hands. And then he has to huffle but shuffle back to the next gap. This is continuously for 30 seconds. You're busting your butt. Just working on back to a gap, back to a gap. So it's, it's a lot of multiple efforts in the zone. It's the one movement, recover back to the next movement. You know, it's, it's – I, I say that's the toughest thing to teach kids is you worked really hard here, but you're not done. And then get back to the next spot. You know? So we try to drill that mindset every day as well. Yeah, I think that's probably, in my experience, coaching zone and, and maybe just watching other teams is, I think it's easy to get caught in the trap of playing zone defense and it's like, oh, I'm just standing here and kind of like shadowing the ball. Um, but obviously the teams like you guys, like yourself, who's really effective at doing it, is going to be able to move multiply and, and come back and forth. Um, so go ahead. Pardon me, I'll make a good point there. A lot of people perceive zone as sitting in a zone. and We're, we're right. never sitting in a zone. We're playing, you know, it's, it's hard. And, you got to move hard. Our guards will tell you, you know, um, Coach Henry and Coach Emmer down at Winterset about a lot of success the last couple of years. They kind of adopted the zone and had a lot of conversations and workshops with those guys down there. And, um, you know, their, their guards, Easton Darling is a D1 guard. I tell you, he worked harder in the zone than he ever did in man. There's a lot, of, a lot of movement for your guards, a lot of action in your guards. And we actually do a lot of four-on-four man shell. We do that every day. We do a lot of full-court transition, you know, three-on-two to four-on-three to five-on-five. It's all man. It's just hard man. The biggest thing is, if you're not playing hard in the zone, it's not going to matter anyway. Mm-hmm. You know, man zone, whatever it is, got to play hard competitively. So we do a lot of man stuff just to teach some help principles and some recovery principles. And um, There's times you got to hedge a ball screen in the zone like you do in a man. So we'll teach that at that point, too. And Just so we have to have those concepts. Nothing else. You're scrambling and playing hard the whole time. Sure, absolutely. Well, that's neat to hear. And obviously, from an offensive standpoint, if you're just playing zone the whole practice, uh, you're probably not going to see just zone during the year. So you're going to need to do some of that as well. Um, I heard you mention ball screens. And I know um, that's something, boy, that's all anybody talks about, it seems like, anymore basketball-wise is ball screens. But I do know, in my experience, I've seen um, both from coaching and using ball screens, but also seeing it against our zone, that it's probably become a little bit more common um, to ball screen against the zone. Has that been something that you guys have seen 
change? And then maybe how have you tried to adapt to teams using a ball screen against the zone? Yeah, I, I think I think you've seen a lot more ball screens against zones. Um, Monticello, who's you know just down the road from us, great program. Coach Lambert down there, and um, they were one of the earlier ones. They've always run really good stuff against zones. Um, Anamosa too, and our traditional rule on perimeter ball screens, especially um, like three point, is get hard under quick. Uh, we it's coming. I want to get to the other side of the screen. Sure. Um, before you get over there. We don't want to have to bring two to guard one. That's why a lot of coaches set up ball screens to get zone yeah. is to get two guard one. Now you have an overload situation. So our philosophy has always been, we don't want to get in that situation. Um, most, not all, you know, like the Mason Millers of the world at Regina and some other guys can pop off a ball screen at 20 feet and drill that shot at the high school level. Not a lot of guys can. Um, and guys that can, we might chase them over, do some stuff differently. We might bring two up and leave a, Sometimes in the zone, your best defense is letting them, enticing certain guys to shoot threes. Sure. That's always a part of our philosophy is we're going to pick who's going to shoot threes. You know, Some people think, well, zones give up threes. They do, but we've always thought we can control three-point shooters a little better in the zone, to be honest with you. And so um, the, the ball screen stuff, we had to work on it a little bit more. There's a little more nuance to it, too, I think, especially bringing up your big guys to help sometimes, too. But traditionally, our biggest rule is get through it early and often. You know, when the cardinal sins is getting shot on a ball screen, just getting sniped and getting stuck on that sucker, and um, that, that'll drive Coach Hummel nuts and me as well. Just you can't get stuck on it. And part of that's the on-ball guy. And part of that's the talk too. We have to have talking on that. I would assume that's one of the things you're probably working on, maybe a little bit more frequently in those breakdown drills, is just anticipating a ball screen and then getting around it and, and having that toughness to fight through it. Is that fair to say? Absolutely, especially if we're playing a team we know is going to utilize that. Some teams do it every now and again, but a team like Monty does it a lot. Um, Comanche is really good at it too. They're all their athletes down there. And um, that'd be in that little that breakdown segment. We might just go, okay, ball screen reads. Hard yeah. under through, recover on the shooter, you know, or the shooter's receiving it. So we're going to chase over the top, force them to give it up, you know, that type of thing. And um, It's just, you just got to kind of pick. And that's the beauty of the zone is it's, you can adjust coverages without compromising what you do. You know, you might 98% the same, or to 2% different this next game or, maybe 5% different the next game. And the zone allows you to do that within those little 10-minute uh, segments and sound bites of practice too. Fantastic. Um, if you do have – you know, you've had a scout with one – a kid who can really pull up and shoot it, which I, I feel like is becoming a little bit more common even at the smaller school level now where we have some great shooters out there. Um, and they're getting a ball screen. Let's say they're on the, you know, top of the key on the left side and they're getting a ball screen going to their right hand. Um, who in your zone is typically, if you're trying to shade and help a little bit, what does that look like for you guys? Um, the on-ball guard, if the screen leads them away from the second guard, so we have two guards, you know, kind of staggered. A lot of times we like to have someone pick them up. That's, if it's a dynamite shooter, we know it's sure. a great shooter. Um, we'll pick him up early, like half-court volleyball line-ish with one guy and do a little one-one staggered. Yeah. And so the second guy might – have the first pass or whatever it is, or if it's in that staggered scenario and they're bringing that screen up, we'll have that second guy just come to that ball side of the screen and be the guy, you know. Um, what we've done in the past as well is if it's that dynamite shooter, we, we know that screen's coming. Um, we'll, we'll really we'll run up into his hips behind him almost. I like they, they guard James Harden a little bit sometimes <laughs> and yep. force him down. We might bring our big up to the middle of the lane. So you're going to dribble into me, you know, or we'll bring the four. A lot of times this is the big. We'll, we'll, we're not, we're going to dare you to throw an entry pass from the top of the key or slot area and our backside forwards are to help Your backside car stays home. Um, so different things like that. We played, we played Mason Miller, who in my opinion is the best shooter in the state. He was phenomenal for Regina this year in the district semis. And um, we basically always had two guys on him from half court on. Um, if they ran ball screens, another two guys, like we always had two guys. So it was always a help and a guy come off the screen and, um, it, the way the mechanics of the zone work, if you can visualize four guys out like that against a dynamite shooting team, you can always kind of figure out a way to have two guys run at him or around him at all times. Yeah, that's good. I, I'll ask you here um, maybe just how has, has anything changed just in the general teaching of the zone with maybe shooting the three like we talked about earlier um, becoming more prevalent is is yeah. there anything that's a lot different than when coach Marshall starting it in the late 90s early 2000s to right now just in general yeah I would say even in the last like five or six years uh, you have more kids shooting threes you know 
Uh, not that they all can shoot it. You have more that shoot it, though. Yeah. And you have to kind of pick what you're going to have. Um, and we, I mean, teams have been – we've heard audible gas from crowds before. We physically do not guard certain guys. We're not going to guard you. We're going to let you shoot threes. And we don't mind you shooting threes. And we still do that. Um, I would say that's the biggest thing is more teams running four out mm-hmm. or shooters. Um, traditionally saw a lot of high-low or double-low or double-highs against zones. Um, traditional one-three-one outlooks, things along those lines. I say that's changed quite a bit. A lot more teams are doing some kind of version of four out. Um, you're really good teams like Comanche and Monty that can put a lot of different shooters around you um, out there. Um, so that's made it a little bit tougher. We've had to do some new adjustments. Um, I said my assistant coach Hummel was always really good at this and developing little wrinkles. And you know, for, if we're playing you, Montezuma, who's got the Shearer brothers, these guys can shoot it, and you're running four out, for example, then we'll basically play a four out zone where we have our, our two guards and two forwards. They are perimeter guys. You know, yep. they're, they're, they're out there. As long as four guys on a perimeter, you four on a perimeter, and you're not healthy. You're staying in a more limited slot area. That's also, that, that's an adjustment we would make against teams like that. Becomes a little bit more of matching up and playing exactly. one-on-one out there. Yep, definitely. Um, that kind of leads me – I know I've been fortunate enough to see at least one of Coach Marshall's uh, championship production films. Oh. And, and one of the things that stuck out to me was when he's talking about the baseline guy, let's say it's a skip pass, okay? So pass coming from the left wing over to the right wing, the baseline guy is coming on and off. On off, yep. Um, can you maybe speak a little bit to the importance of that? And I guess we just talked about the language, but what you're doing to teach that. Yeah, we, that's part of our breakdown drills every day too. I mentioned how I might have the guards getting you know, recovering on skip to skips. And Coach Hummel on the other side of the court, he's working on forwards doing that, getting on and off. And the philosophy of that is, is in high school especially, um, at all levels, you know, the, the most time we're going to be open on the catch. And so if we can take that initial shot away from a good shooter, that little brief moment in time where he doesn't shoot it should give us time to get a secondary guy there. Because not too many high school guys um, are going to catch it, reload, going to pull it right back up and shoot it with much consistency. And so that's a big philosophy. And it's a key for that forward. It's a tough guard. He has to get there. And our kind of standard rule is you got to be able to get all the way out, be able to touch him with your hand. Um, I always say put your armpit in his face. You know, you, you got to get to him to the three-point line. And then when we come off, um, that can vary. If there's a corner guy, like trainer, when we played yep. trainer in the state title game, they had a lot of corner shooters. So it's a tough cover, but, you know, you're, 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 you got to get there. So it's on and off to the corner, or it's on and off to the short corner. Or maybe it's on and stay until your guard gets there, and we're going to have a little natural double team because we're not worried about the corner shooter. Sure. But the idea is on that skip, on that read, on that pass, you are flying there. And if everybody else is moving equally well, we're going to be able to cover up by the time the next pass happens. Um, I was going to ask if then if it's four out, uh, that same skip pass probably isn't occurring from the left wing to the right wing, but a similar style pass where the, the forward's got to come out. Is it more likely that he's just going to stay there and match up now and the big guy is kind of scrambling in the middle? Does that uh, affect that on and off terminology at all? I would say if, if, if you can kind of envision a, a team that has a four out, maybe they have two kind of wing guys and kind of corner area guys, and the ball is on, say, the right wing, uh, we'd have a guard on the ball. That ball side forward would kind of be in help position, almost like a gap man on the guy in the corner. Yeah. Our backside guard, um, he'll be – his position will depend on is the fifth guy in the high post or is he yep. in the short corner. And that's where our big guy is going to be too. You know, if he's in the high post, our big guy could be up a little bit. The guard could be in that little gap. They're all kind of like almost like gap man, pack man spots. And so if it gets skipped to that backside wing, our forward's not going to come to that. That's got to be the guard's responsibility. Because a forward then has to be responsible for getting to the corner guy. Okay. So if it's a four out, we do shift that. So if you're not going up, you know. Now, some of that depends on who's who. Yeah, so personnel. If, if, if player A on the wing is 40% shooter for three and the guy in the corner is 25, we might bring the forward up and take our chances on, on off. Yeah, you know, off to the corner. You got to get there. And if the guy drives baseline, for example, our big is waiting. Backside guard should be crashing the high post area to cover that kind of gap area. Uh, some of its personnel, but in general, that forward would not come on there. He'd be ready to come on to the corner guy. Fantastic. Well, I I really like that term of on and off. I I know in my experience that that's been a big key for us when we have played zone and and teaching that. You get you mentioned that you're doing it daily. That they're working yeah, absolutely. Every, every, every one of our breakdowns has some version of closeout on off. Yep. All the and, time. 
And that's, that's, that seems to me to be a, a, a huge key to be able to get guys to understand that because sometimes they kind of want to stay out there and all of a sudden a quick pass really can hurt the – And that's, that, that you hit on the head there. This, the, where we would get Monticelli's to run great high-low and low-high action. And where we get burn is our forward might close out really hard and get there, but then on the next pass, he's still there. It's, yeah. You can be on off like right now. You're on and then get back. You know, that's, that's a – and that guard then sometimes gets a false sense of security. Oh, he's there. I can relax for a second. Oh, no, no, no. He's only there until you get there. You know, you got to get there fast, too. And so the guard has to trust. The forward's getting there. The forward has to trust. He can get off because the guard's going to get there. Absolutely. Um, coach, playing zone, uh, how do you feel like that affects your offense? I know a lot of guys, you know, maybe you want to press a little bit more to get out and get some more offense. How does the coach in the zone – has that changed or affected your offense at all? Yeah, it's, it's funny. We've always had a reputation in Cascade. People think we kind of slow it down or play methodically. And offensively, we don't want to. We, we, we drill – we do a 5-0 break every day to start practice. We're trying to get out and go. Um, our, our games turn slower because of how we guard, actually. Yeah. Um, and the danger in that sometimes is, is when we get a stop, sometimes we're, we, we play a little too quick on offense because we, we play defense for 30 seconds or 25 seconds, got to stop. Well, we have to go score now, you know. And, um, we try to create opportunities out of the zone. If we have really good guards, you know, we, we kind of – we're going to tell them, you know, our, we got to get, get points off our zone. we got to get up a little bit, see if we can get some deflections. Um, so we, we mentioned we run that break out of our zone every day to start practice. One of the first things we do, 5 on old break. Um, guys in the zone, pass might come from a skip. Where are you going to be when that shot goes up? Where are you going to run when the shot goes up? Where are we going to run into to our offense? And we try to do that transition piece a lot daily. Um, I would say the zone does lead to kind of naturally play maybe a little slower on offense because you're a little more organized on defense. Yeah. Um, but we, we want to play a little quicker, I think, on offense. I think everybody kind of does. Our goal is to beat teams down the court where they can set up. You know, and, and sometimes the advantage of that is teams that run zones um, or run offense against zones uh, will take shots from corners or short corners. So their balance getting back isn't always great maybe not as organized as they would be possibly in some other offensive looks and that type of thing. So um, I, don't, I don't say it drastically affects how you play either way. I say that the biggest, you might call it a, a pitfall sometime is wanting to play too quickly when you're doing such a good job on defense. Sure. Absolutely. Um, I know, you know, for us that the one thing I like about the zone is generally the guys are in the same spots and, and we do really like getting down the floor as well. And, well, then when you get the rebound, you know where the guard is. Yeah, really, you know, and, and that's kind of an advantage, I, I feel like, if you're a team that likes to get down the floor. But obviously, like you said, zone offense maybe can slow it down a little bit. So taking over the youth program, I'm really interested. Do you guys do anything specifically at the junior high or even younger levels to prepare guys to play zone? Because you know you're going to do it in high school. You know, honestly, I'd, I'd rather they all play man, to be honest with you. I'll our, a lot of our youth coaches, they, they sometimes want to play zone because they know we're going to play it. Can you teach the zone? And, and I will, but I'm also – just play hard. The biggest thing, I think, at the young level is just playing hard. And it's really tough to convince a kid to play hard when he's not around the ball. And in the zone, you're not around the ball very often sometimes. Sure. And young guys especially only play when they're, they have the ball, the ball's in front of their face. <laughs> yeah. I mean, they do. The high school guys, sometimes they all think it's a series of five one-on-one -on -one games. No, no, it's five guys against the ball. <laughs> And that's, that's very abstract. Zone is very abstract. It's not as concrete as X marks a spot, your man, um, a man offense, for example. And, and so I, I think the, as much as possible, like our hall ball, for example, we don't allow zones. It's got to be all man-to-man. -man. We'll teach help side, you know. Um, we can double in the paint, things like that, like camp rules. We're going to play man-to-man in the half court hard. Tournament team stuff, our, our guys will play some zones sometimes. They do it um, if tournaments allow it. Um, I try. I, I never try to dictate how they play because I mean I want those guys to play and coaches that that's their team. You know, that's not my team. It's their team. They're coaching those guys. And, um, I, I encourage them to play hard. They'll play man as much as possible and work on trapping. I don't know if you're allowed to work on scrambling. Work on your help side things like that out of it. So the biggest principle: those young guys play hard. Just play as hard as you can. And with my youth camp, we don't do a whole lot of defense. We do a lot of shooting and offense. But um, everything we do out of that's uh, four on four, three on three, man to man stuff. Absolutely. Um, I, I just was interested in that. I, I think I assume that's kind of where it would go. And obviously, you know, sometimes there's limits on when you can play zone, but that playing with intensity, like we talked about before, seems to be a big piece of 
sometimes I think we always oh, switch the zone. We're just standing here. That's obviously not going to be the case of an effective team. No. Coach, is there anything else you want to share um, about the zone or anything else? We're, we're kind of running a little low on time here. You know, the biggest thing I would say with the zone is a lot of it's funny because people call it the zone. They never call it the man, man to man. And, uh, all the zone loss, like Coach Bayon and Sirius had a great point. So nowhere it says man-to-man loss. You know, it's, just, it's defense. And uh, we play it because it works for us. Uh, it won't just – it's 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 a process, you know. As you know, teaching it to your guys. And you guys got to buy into it. You know, you have to buy into playing really hard. It truly is five guys in sync. Um, the movement's off to line up with each other. If um, you get caught playing a one-on-one game defensively in a zone, you're going to get, get burnt pretty bad. And that's why it's much fun to, to defensively prepare that zone. It wasn't anything because you could just really lock in on certain guys we felt. And um, it always gave us a chance. It's also a defense that I think, well, it allows you to get better at it through the years, through the, the course of the season. And um, the, our goal and rule always was, you know, if it's you got to be able to play something because you have a chance against the best team on your schedule, you know. Is it going to be able to win you a game against Western Christian at the state championship, for example? And if it will, you got to play that way all year. I was always a big believer in that. There's some teams we could have played man and impressed. You're going to beat them. And sure. it doesn't necessarily get us better to play a team that's going to – we're going to play Dyersville Beckman at a district championship game. We can't play that way against them anyway. So let's not do it ever during the course of the season. We always talk we're going to play through the prism of a championship-level prism. So every possession all year long should be played through that prism, and particularly defensively. Because we might break down against a team in December and not get hurt by it. That same breakdown is going to hurt us at a February 28th sub-state game. And that was always our biggest thing. The kids, they bought into it. They like seeing their name on BC Moore as a top defensive school. You know, they like that stuff. And once kids start seeing that we're going to win games this way and we still play hard and still score and do that stuff, they, they, they suck it up. They, they love doing it, you know. So that's the biggest thing for us with the zone was once kids bought into it, they enjoy it. And it's kind of fun to, to stop teams defensively. And the more energy you bring to it, the better it is. Absolutely. Well, some, some great thoughts today, Coach, and I, I really appreciate you sharing. Um, thanks again for coming on. Hey, thanks, Derek. I really appreciate it, man. Thanks for listening. As always, if you guys enjoyed the show, go ahead and try and give us a rating wherever you listen to the podcast at. I think it'll help boost us up. Uh, and make us available for others to listen. And then please share with anybody who you think might be interested as well. Uh, Once again, thank you for joining us today.